Amen. Thank you. So um, I'm going to sit, if that's okay. I might stand in a little bit, but I, like Adam says, I, I've only been putting weight on my foot for about five days or so. So I'm trying to, trying to stay off of it if I can. Um, don't worry, I'll tell you what happened in a little bit. Um, so we are in the Kingdom of God series. Together we've been in this since the beginning of the year. Um, and simply put, the Kingdom of God is the good news of God's reign and rule on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom here now. The good news of God's reign and rule here now. Right? And so... Um, I wanted to tell you guys a, a little bit of my story from this summer. So Adam and I got back from sabbatical a few weeks ago, a month ago, something. feels like time is in a warp now. But um, I first wanted to say thank you. I know Adam got to say this at the last gathering, but I wasn't here. So I want to say thank you to this church who prioritizes rest, Sabbath and sabbatical for leaders and for all of us that we have a culture that says, we are not the work we do, right? But we are the image of Jesus in the world and that, that Jesus was rested and not hurried. And so we can all in, embrace rest as part of our rhythms of life. And so we got to have this amazing first part of our sabbatical. We traveled and had adventure as a family, had a lot of fun little moments. You know, um, we actually got to go to North Carolina and Hawaii which praise Jesus for beautiful places like that in the world, right? But I was really looking forward to coming back to Kansas City. And, and Adam and I kind of negotiated even around this. Um, I used the word negotiate. You said disagree. Um, so we got to a good place because I love home. And I was like, I want to be home to rest and be at peace and have a slow pace because as much as like adventure is fun, we all know that's like rejuvenating and refreshing, but it's not restful, right, to travel with three kids. Then um, all the parents say amen. We get it, right? And so, so beautiful provision from friends and family to, you know, help us have a, a wonderful first part of an adventure. I'm really thankful for it. But uh, it took us two days to get back from Hawaii and by the time we got home, our middle daughter was like, I don't feel so good. And, um, and we were like, okay, it's probably just because you've like, missed a whole night of sleep and you know, we've been in air conditioning. You're probably just tired, like, right? You know, always easy with her. She was always the easy one. Hungry, tired. Good. Solves almost everything. I know it solves it for me, too. I don't know if I have a name in. Like, for me, I'm hungry or tired. Okay, the life, life is better again after a snack and a nap. And so we're like, let's sleep it off. Well, she wakes up this next morning, fever, sore throat, and we're like, ah, we've dodged COVID for two and a half years. We're one of those families, you know, that like, oh, Matrix, you know, Neo, like the bullet's coming at you. And we're like, no, no, no. But COVID caught us on somewhere, somewhere between Hawaii and Kansas City. And um, she got pretty sick. And of course, Adam, the wonderful father he, ha he was, like shared his Chick-fil-A drink with her. 
while like in in the in the like Denver airport, right? A big deal. Sacrifice of love, if you know Adam and his love for Chick Fil A, and and so he shared that drink with her in the airport, and we were just like, oh, fingers crossed, like you know. But it wasn't like two days later, and Adam was having a really hard time, and it activated his asthma. So asthma. Adam had some asthma, so he was really struggling. We had to do breathing treatments and all kinds of things to try and help Adam. And of course, everybody knows when the mama in the house goes down, then the ship has gone down in the house, right? And so, not a couple of days later, because I had been caring for my sweet girl and Adam, <laughs> definitely who needed care. <laughs> Because I don't know what happens when he gets sick, but it is the end of the world. And um, <laughs> I mean, you're you ain't gonna admit that, right? Like I'm not throwing you under the bus. It's the truth. Um, it's a fact. Um, he's not good at being sick. Thank the Lord, he's not sick often. And um, and so 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 I got COVID, and I, I got it pretty bad, and we were three weeks into our sabbatical at home, and we were really at home, like we were stuck at home, and two of my kids were isolating from the rest of the family. I'm going to give a big whoop whoop to our friends and family and our home church, who literally brought food, dropped it off at our house, like did all this amazing stuff for us. And my kids are eternally grateful to not have to eat another bowl of mac and cheese that they made themselves, right? And... Um, and so we get through this, and I'm finally like, okay, I feel kind of okay. I get out of bed the first time in two weeks. I was pretty wiped out, and I said, okay, I am going to make dinner tonight. I am going to like, I'm going to do it. And so get downstairs, you know, have defrosted stuff, and I am busy making dinner, and I turn around, and I knock these amazing knives that Keong suggested, the chef, for Adam to buy for me for Christmas this year. They're the best knives ever. They're so sharp. If the knife fell off the counter, it fell on my foot and sliced the tendons in my foot. Severed the tendons. And um, of course, we didn't know that at the time. I just was like, get me to an emergency room right now. I think, thankfully, like just that morning, finally had a negative test. And so I was like, thank the Lord, I can actually go somewhere. And, um, and so we, you know, long story, end up with stitches. And the, the lady said to me, she's like, um, you gotta, you got to get to a surgeon like tomorrow and you got to start a process here. She's like, I'm, I'm like 90% sure that your tendons are severed. And so there goes the rest of my summer, pretty much. Um, and Adam had this amazing pilgrimage planned in the UK, which he can tell you about. It's his own story. But he had two weeks in um, Scotland and Ireland planned. And so I saw the surgeon. He went with me to the surgeon in the morning. He flew out in the afternoon. And um, they, they wanted to wait until the wound had healed a little bit. So... Um, so it was fine. It was like we, I was going to have surgery basically the day after he got back. And, and then she said to me, okay, you can start driving and walking on this now. And so literally for the two weeks he was gone, I was mobile, but I had long COVID. And so the girls and I were doing these little things, and then I'd just be like passed out. 
And they kept laughing at me because they're like, Mom, you're sleeping like all the time. Like, what is wrong with you? And we had this long bucket list of things we were going to do in Kansas City because we love Kansas City, and we didn't do any of them. And, um, and I know other people have like way worse summers, but I was so sad and disappointed. And I just was like feeling really sorry for myself one morning. And um, I had just had Jesus, like, very gently tap me on the shoulder. Don't you love this when he does this, when he's, like, gentle in his reprimand of us, right? Very gently tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, wow, you're really toiling and spinning away. And I was like, ooh, I think I've heard those words somewhere before. And, um, And he just said, like, you are not you are just spinning 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 and sabbatical is about coming to peace with me it's not about anything external bringing you to peace or rest like rest is found with me and i went and read i went and found those words in the bible they're jesus's words and they are in matthew 6:25 through 34 I'm going to read them for you, and then we're just going to talk about this for a minute. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This, um, the context of the scripture is the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of gr- the greatest sermons that Jesus ever gave. It's Matthew 5 through 7, if you want to go and read it. Um, and the primary focus and subject of the entire Sermon of the Mount is the kingdom of God, right? And so here in verse 33, we actually say that he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And that, that command to seek first the kingdom is actually rightly orders all of the things that are in the Sermon on the Mount because he takes the old law of the prophets and he says here is the new law, the new way to live, which is to live from the heart. 
and not from the external pressure of the Lord, but to live from the faith in our hearts in how we prioritize Jesus as first in our lives. And so that's the context for this, this part of the scripture. But I want to focus on these two words of toil and spin because that's what the Lord spoke to me about. He said, when we don't seek first the kingdom, we end up toiling and spinning. Now, toil is like an old word you'd hear in the NIV when I read it. It was translated labor, which we just had labor day, so hopefully we all know what labor means. Um, Anyone who's had a child knows that type of labor, Um, but it's to work, right? But the Greek word here is actually a stronger word, which is why they used the translation toil originally. And that Greek word, which I will not try to pronounce, um, is to feel great fatigue, but continue to work. So to feel great fatigue, but continue to work. And I'm not saying today we shouldn't be hard workers. Like, I actually believe Jesus calls us to work. But... This is a different type of thing. This is when we say, I'm going to work from my strength. And I'm going to keep working and keep working and keep working until I can figure it out. Even if I'm under great fatigue, (laughs) right? I'm so exhausted and yet I'm going to make it work. And honestly, that's how I was feeling at that moment. I was trying to figure everything out because the timing of my surgery was not great. My oldest daughter was starting high school. My younger kids were going back to school. I was supposed to start back at work. There was this list of stuff that I had put off for our sabbatical, rightly so, but now was starting to pile up. And I was under all this anxiety and stress because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get to it. I'm not going to get to it. I'm not going to get to it. And so then that sends you into the spin, right? (laughs) And the spin here is actually referencing the spinning wheel of, um, because it's talking about the flowers and their clothes. And so it's talking about the spinner. And that is actually literally something that just goes round and round and round and round for productivity. But um, who knows, who's been stuck in Kansas City snow? I totally had to learn how to drive in the snow in Kansas City when I moved here from South Africa, where I think it maybe snowed the day I was born and then never saw snow again. So I had to drive in the snow, and who knows, like when you're stuck in the snow or in the mud, the worst thing you can do is just to keep spinning and spinning and spinning, because what happens, you just get more and more and more stuck, and then you just burn out your engine, right? And so that's what I was doing. I was just going round and round and round and round with anxiety and worry and self-pity. It was getting into self-pity. And then what ended up happening is it was affecting my relationships. So right, so seek first God's kingdom, and his righteousness. Righteousness is actually just right relating. Right relating with God, right relating with those around you. And um, lots of studies around uh, you know, issues of anxiety says the first thing it does is breaks down our relationship with people around us. Because we either get super clingy, like, you got to fix this for me, <laughs> right? To, to the, the closest relationships around us. Or we get really irritable. And we blame them for our anxiety, right? Because it's something they've done that's made me feel like this. And so we start on this, like, clinging to people, pushing other people away, uh, anger, uh, fatigue is one of the signs of anxiety. We clench our jaw, you know, we (laughs) grind our teeth. It's like even our relationship with ourselves becomes broken, right, with our own bodies because we're one person. And so we see that Jesus actually right here gives us the answer to not worrying. 
He says, if you don't want to worry, if you don't want to toil and spin, you've got to put me first. And so the kingdom of God, like when we want to stop worrying, being anxious, we've got to return to center, to Jesus. Because the kingdom of God is where the king is. So if we seek for the king, we've got to look for him and find him. And when we find him, and we're with him, his promise is that his peace will be with us. And that takes a lot of discipline and practice. Because for sure, you will have anxious, crisis, chaos all around us all the time. Our world today, we see anxiety sometimes as a a personal thing, but in our world, I just want to tell you guys what's happened in the last years from 2008 to 2018, so in a 10-year span, just in the U.S., I'm not even talking about worldwide, they found that 5% of people in 2008 in the U.S. struggled with some type of chronic anxiety. That doubled in 10 years to 2018, so 11% by 2018. In the last four years, that has gone up over 40%. Over 40% of Americans now struggle with some type of chronic anxiety. And when they did a survey at the end of last year, like a year after the pandemic, they say that really they're looking at numbers more like over 65% of Americans now struggle with some type of anxiety disorder after the stress of the last few years. Guys, we are living in a world that is anxious. And we have the answer not just for ourselves, but for the world around us. Jesus really encountered me with this last, very last words, these last words about stop worrying about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own, right? And when we live in this world right now, I was worrying because I was projecting what the next six weeks would look like, really 12 weeks from injury to getting the boot off and everything. And I was feeling all the anxiety of something that had not happened yet. I was spinning, I was working hard to control the situation, and he was saying, tomorrow is going to have worries. I promise you, the day I woke up after the surgery, I was pretty rough. It was not fun. (laughs) It was worse than the day that I was worrying on. (laughs) But Jesus was with me on that day, in all that I needed on that day. He was not there with all that I needed on the day that I was worried about it. He had enough for me for that day. (laughs) Right? Corrie Tim Boone says this so beautifully. She says, worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once, and I was carrying like 12 months at once. It's moving into into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two days at once. It's moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. 
tomorrow we will have troubles. Guys, we don't know what the world's going to look like. 21 years ago, on the 10th of September, people living in New York did not know that the next day would be 9-11. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Earth is temporal. This is what Jesus is speaking about here in the sermon. He says, don't worry about the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. And how much of our anxiety is attached to temporal things? A hundred years from now, I'm really sorry to say this, maybe two people will remember who you are here on earth. Just think about that. Do you often remember or know or think about your great-great-grandparents? Do you even know their name? The things we think that are so important today are not important. I will tell you what will matter in a hundred years. How you worship your king will matter in a hundred years. Who you invest into, because these people sitting here will be there in a hundred years. <laughs> your family, your friends, the body of Christ, this will be who is still there in a hundred years, worshiping Jesus together in the eternal. All of this stuff around us will not be there. Our clothes, our food, the house, the car. We are called to simple obedience, to seek first Jesus and his kingdom, and to have our relationships be right. And then everything else comes under that. I'm not saying everything else is not important. I'm just saying it's lesser. It's got lesser importance in the kingdom of God. When you've been saving for that big down payment on your house and Jesus gently nudges you to give that money away, what is temporal and what is eternal? Right? That's just one example. But for me, in that moment, is I was going, oh my gosh, everything I'm worried about, even my body, my foot, this body's not going to be here in 100 years. I mean, seriously, I don't think science is going like, to find the fountain of youth before I die. And I did say science will find it. Um, but, I mean, even if my body is frozen, like, I, I'm not going to be here to enjoy this body, <laughs> you know? The things I was worried about was temporal, but Jesus asks us to look to the eternal king, to look to the eternal kingdom, and to find him there, to abide with him now, because the kingdom is not just then. The kingdom is now. We can actually experience the kingdom of God right now, and when we prioritize it as first in our lives, his peace, his joy, his righteousness comes and fills our lives. So um, I was in Lebanon last year and um, with this friend, and he recommended I read this book, which I would recommend it to you. I found it super difficult to read. It's super fascinating, but difficult to read. So anyone that like, feels like they have a high IQ, which is all of you, go ahead and fi- buy this book and read it. It's great. It's called A Failure of Nerve, Leadership in the Age of the Quick Fix. 
It's written by Edwin Freeman, and he is a rabbi, so a trained rabbi, and a family systems therapist. Interesting thing. I, I, was, I was kind of like, oh, I think I'd like to be that. Family systems therapist. Sounds amazing. And he talks about how our anxious world, remember, possibly over 60% of people in America struggling with anxiety right now, we desperately need a non-anxious presence. So he has this really in-depth, amazing explanation of what a non-anxious presence is. But Rudyard um, Kipling, before him, describes it in a poetic form very simply. And so I'm actually going to read his uh, you know, kind of description because Edwin Freeman's is like two paragraphs long and this is one sentence, but it ties it all together. Here it is. If you can keep your head when all about you, people are losing theirs and blaming it on you. So a person who is a non-anxious presence in any situation is someone who can keep their head or their peace when all about them, people are losing theirs and blaming it on you. So uh, Edwin Freeman does all this research on why every system he looked at, he looked at the si an individual to a group size, any person or group that is facing crisis or chaos, irrespective of their culture, gender, ethnic background, all, the, all his studies show that they are less likely to break down or sustain long-term damage if there is a non-anxious person present in the crisis or chaos. It's really important that the person has to be within the crisis and chaos. They have to be present. Okay? That person is involved with their emotions. They are not disengaged from their emotions. They are involved. They are present in the situation. But in the panic and chaos around them, they remain cool and calm. They can assess the situation holistically and offer support, perspective, and solutions that are helpful and effective. A good example of this is if you're in a movie theater and there's a fire in the movie theater and the alarms are going off and everything's going crazy and everyone just starts stampeding and going crazy. If there is one or two people that can keep their head, stay calm, and start directing people, it is a lot less damage in the long run, right? More lives are saved in that situation. So that's like the example of this. What is a non-anxious presence? Well, this morning through the worship and even in the scripture, we see that Jesus is the non-anxious presence that we need for our own crisis or chaos. Any crisis or chaos, if, he, if we can find him, it says, seek first my kingdom, find the king. If we can find him, he becomes the non-anxious presence that sets everything in us at peace. No, he does not say he's coming to fix the crisis or chaos. Sometimes he does. Most of the time he doesn't. I'll just tell you now. Right? But what he does do is he brings the eternal right here into our present moment. And then the temporal around us doesn't really matter anymore. I love in Luke 17, 21, it says, the kingdom of God is within you. 
And now all of you scholars of the Bible are going to say, that actually says the kingdom is at hand. It is not within. It is at hand, right? Well, actually, the word they're used is the same word that Jesus used when he told the Pharisees, you've got to clean the inside of the cup. You can't just clean the outside, right, to be clean. That is the same word. The kingdom of God is within you, the inside of the cup. We can actually find the kingdom of God within us. We're not the kingdom of God. Let me make that very clear. But the Holy Spirit of Jesus is given to us as a gift to live inside of us. Guys, the universe, God, all out there is living right in here. And Jesus promises that there will be streams of living water that flows out of us. That he will never leave us or forsake us. That is here, right here. He's with us in our bodies, in our very present moment No matter what's happening around us, he's right there with us. He tells us he will never leave us. Can we believe his promise that he will never leave us or forsake us? That we can find the kingdom of God, the very rule and reign of Jesus in any crisis or chaos that we face. If that's personal, if it's on a city level, like if the chiefs lose today, dear God, please not. Can we find our peace or do our relationships around us suffer from that? Does our relationship with God, do we blame him? Do we, are we angry with him? Or do we allow ourselves to be centered on Jesus again? Do we bring Jesus to the center? Do we find the king? Or Dear Lord, that something not happened, but what if 9-11 happened again here in Kansas City tomorrow? Can we live as non-anxious presence people in the presence of Jesus because his kingdom breaking out, out of this room, out of our homes, is when that presence inside of us becomes the non-anxious presence for the world around us that is desperately in need of the peace of the kingdom of God. So my grandfather was a really amazing person. And none of you get to meet him because he he died when I was 15. But um, he was a doctor. And he was a lot of other things too. But he loved his patients beautifully. And when I was little, um, he used to take me on his rounds with him. And so I, he had like a whole little outfit that I would wear and I would go around in the hospital in his morning rounds with him and he would introduce me as his nurse and, um, and with all of his patients. And so I would help, you know, in my, you know, two to four-year-old, you know, I was very helpful, I'm sure. And um, actually the best part of my grandfather is he always had chocolate in his car always had chocolate. We knew we could find it. And um, anyway, so I'm with him and I get to do all the little, you know, little things for him. And don't worry, no one's life was ever really in danger from me helping. But um, one of the things he let me do, and I remember this so clearly, is he let me carry, and I'm going to say it the South African way, and Adam says that you say it different here, so I'm sorry about that, stethoscope. Stethoscope, that's like the thing you put in your ears and listen to someone's heart with. And so I would carry his stethoscope around, and he would let me listen to his patient's hearts. But my favorite thing to do was to actually stick it in my ears and listen to my own heart. 
because it's like kind of amazing to hear your own heart beating. But Jesus reminded me of this uh, during the summer when, honestly, guys, like I was stuck in a bed. I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't move. I mean, some of you know, know what this feels like. You're literally stuck in this tiny space, and you feel like you're going crazy, and everyone has to do everything for you. And if you know me, like I like doing everything for everyone else, so it's a good discipline in our house. And I felt like I was missing out on everything, but the Lord just kept saying to me, stick Close your ears, stop listening to the noise, and find, find your anxiety level. Listen to your heart. Because what we read this morning in Philippians was he guards our hearts and our minds with his peace. And we don't slow down enough or listen closely enough to what our anxiety level is at. And so I want us to do just a little five-minute exercise here now in this room of slowing down closing out the noise around you, finding the kingdom of God within, the rule and reign of God within. Imagine yourself just listening to your heart. Say, heart, where are you at? Are you anxious today? Are you worried about tomorrow? And as um, you do that, I'm going to be quiet for a minute, but I want you to just, as you hear where your heart is at, just start saying, I give everything and everyone to you. Give it to the King. I give everyone and everything to you. If you need to get specific naming those things, that's fine. And after every one, you just pause. You release them to the loving and caring hands of God. And you let go. We give you everything and everyone. We give you everything and everyone. We release our anxiety, our worry, our cares into the caring and careful hands of our Father. We invite the kingdom, the King, the Prince of Peace, to come and rule and reign in our lives, to guard our hearts and our minds, to be the non-anxious presence at the center of our lives, to be with us in every crisis, in whatever chaos, that surrounds us. We welcome you now, Prince of Peace. You are our King. I just want to encourage each of you to find a pathway of peace that works for you. It might be a breath prayer. So this is homework, by the way, for this week. Find a pathway of peace. Find a way to get back to the King. Seek the king and you will find him in any situation. The prayer we did this morning just through Philippians 4 could be a good pathway for you. Rejoice to give up your anxieties and care. Receive his peace. Correct any wrong or hurtful relationship around you. Let's be a people committed 
to living with Jesus as the king and to being a non-anxious presence in the world around us. Amen.